Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network conversations with experts in the field of sports. Today's guest, a teammate of mine for one season with the Los Angeles Clippers. He played 11 years in the NBA, leading the NBA in three-point percentage for one of those years. His game would translate perfectly to today's up-and-down style because he could score at the rim, he could score mid-range, and he can get it going from deep. The pride of Philly, Rhode Island Rams, Katino Mobley. Kat, how's life for you, bud? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. Seriously. Yeah, it's been a while since uh, we've actually seen each other in person. I, I believe it was the, the basketball tournament, TBT, about three years ago down in L.A. We were two of the oldest guys in the gym, still trying to <laughs> young with the, run with the young bucks. Uh, you yeah. still play a little bit these days? Yeah, as much as I can. You know, basketball, Wish the way I think now – with the athleticism I had when I was younger, I'd be so much better. It's just, uh, you know how it is, right? You slow down your game and speed up your mind. And uh, I think that's what uh, I enjoy now playing, where I don't really have to use as much athleticism and I can still get people involved and still do what I feel like doing on the court. I like how you talk about slow down the game by using your mind. I was a guy who bounced around to a number of different teams and anybody that's kind of in that setting, you get to know a lot of teammates, some develop, you you develop a closer relationship or a friendship with than others. A lot of it's dependent on where your locker is in the locker room or where you sit on the bus or where you sit Mm -hmm. on in the plane. You and I sat next to each other on the plane for, for an entire season we had a chance to talk about a lot of different things, whether it was life, whether it was basketball. And one thing that I always remembered about you, Katino, is after every game, you were the only player that would watch the game start to finish. And you watched it as a player, kind of as a fan, but also as a coach. Why did that become part of your routine? Uh, you know, I, I learned that at a very a young age uh, – I picked up basketball at 13, 14, and um, my major in college was psychology and communications. And what I was actually just talking to some friends of mine about is how we mimic and we mock as human beings. And um, uh, watching games, um, I think, at a very young age would, if it, it sounds stupid, but it would get me better faster, even when I wasn't playing, just so I can understand concepts, um, options, um, and different things that I'm either someone else is doing that I'm going to play or teams that I love watching or just uh, mistakes that I've made that I can make better. So it just became more of a routine. And I always just wanted to become uh, better on the court, um, you know, and, and try to do what I can to have that, like, edge on uh, the, the next game or the opponent or just to kind of figure it out from there. You mentioned – kind of really getting into the game at 13 or 14. You grew up in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Looking back at your upbringing, was there a specific maybe coach, mentor, teacher, or family member that kind of, you know, really pulled you aside and, and 
helped you develop your love for the game of basketball and, and help you achieve your goals and dreams? Yeah, you know, um, there's a, a kid, uh, when I was a freshman, he was a senior, his name was Chris Williams. He's actually a motivational speaker now. He went to Manhattan College. Um, he was also left-handed. So when I was playing football, I would sneak in the basketball gym and watch him work out one-on-one. Uh, and I wanted to be like him because he was left-handed and I was left-handed. And I didn't really know any, too many left-handers that played basketball at that time. And then my, it just so happened, I guess, the basketball gods gave me him and gave me my JV coach who was also left-handed and played up in Syracuse named Bill Ludlow. Um, and, um, they were two amazing people that, uh, like I said before, was also left-handed that I can kind of watch play the game. And they were both point guards actually, (laughs) and, uh, watch play the game and learn the game, uh, um, like I did. And, um, you know, those guys pushed me and I had tough coaches, um, Along with them loving me and, and, and caring for me through my process, I had really tough coaches that loved me but was really tough. So, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, you know, boxing first and then playing football, you you kind of, you know, these are, these are aggressive sports, so to speak. So basketball was more so one of the softest sports I played <laughs> at a young age. So when I was getting yelled and cussed at and, you know, go harder. It was a normal thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, I guess that's what helped me grow faster. Let's go back to that boxing comment. That's something that I didn't know. Uh, but you, you're from Philly, obviously anybody kind of our age, our era grew up watching Rocky Balboa movies. Mm-hmm. I actually watched a, a few minutes of Rocky two the other day with, with one of my sons, Tell us about the boxing influence. How'd you get into that and, and what you took from that uh, to become a, a very high-level athlete? Well, um, my father uh, was a boxer. Uh, our, our distant cousin is Joe Lewis, uh, the Brown Bomber. Uh, so we have that in our blood. Um, my father always thought that, you know, learning how to protect yourself would, would always be uh, one of those best cars that you can hold. Um, and I think, you know, for me, my daughter boxes, uh, she's only seven, just to kind of protect herself, you know, when her, myself or the, her brothers are not around, uh, you know, you don't want to be a worried father. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think um, it's not so much of, you know, beating someone up or learning how to fight as much as it is the discipline of it and knowing that you can protect yourself and that you don't have to be so angry or get so angry because you know uh, the outcome of certain situations before they happen. So, you know, um, I, I took it from there and um, I guess it, learned, it, it taught me to, you know, it taught me just to be a little more disciplined in, in, in my methods. And discipline is something when I look at boxers or MMA fighters, that's one of the true characteristics of athletes in those sports. But staying in, in, on the East Coast, you're from Philly, and the Big East was huge, obviously, uh, with Syracuse, Villanova right there in your backyard, Georgetown. You go to Rhode Island. Um, was it something where maybe you were overlooked by some of the Big East schools and that kind of drove you once you got to Rhode Island? Or, or what made you make that decision to go to Rhode Island? Well, again, I was a late bloomer, right? So I went to prep school at 18 years old. 
uh, MCI, Main Central Institute, who Max Good was my coach, and he, you know, he he spit out a whole bunch of high-level D1 guys. And at the time, we were whether we were top three in the country or one, two, or three at particular times, um, you know, um, I went up there a little nervous. Uh, you, you're dealing with some of the best prep school uh, post-grads that are, that are out there in the country. And, you know, I, I started. Uh, we, we did really well. And, uh, you know, coming out of high school, I wasn't highly recruited. Um, and then when I got to prep school and I, I did really well there, I, I kind of listened to my friends uh, because my actually, you know, my best friends, Alvin Williams, Rasheed Wallace, Jason Lawson, we all grew up together, working out together since we were kids. And um, I wanted to go to Villanova, but Kerry Kittles was there, and Kerry Kittles was way better than me, especially at that time. You know, and, um, you know, I just it wasn't a realistic thing for me. Uh, it was for Al. It was for Jason. And I thought Rasheed was going to go there, and then he pulled a, you know, Dean Smith move on us. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I just figured I'd go to Rhode Island with one of my other friends and try to be a big fish in Little Pond. Well, it worked out for all you guys. You mentioned some really good names, obviously, Rashid, myself growing up in the Portland area. You know, he was a part of some of those great Blazer teams. And then Alvin Williams, Kerry Kittles, big part of Villanova. It worked out for all of you guys. And for you in particular, you helped put Rhode Island on the map. 1998, you guys made an Elite Eight run a year before Gonzaga made their initial Elite Eight run. When you look back all those years ago, is there a specific memory or a game that stands out to you? Because when I ask guys from that 99 Elite Eight Gonzaga run, they mentioned the togetherness and playing with a confidence that they were going to do it together. What would it have been for your Rhode Island team in 98? Well, I mean, for us, it was the same thing, right? We were together. We believed in each other. Tyson Wheeler and I, as you know, Dan, and being a really good guard yourself, um, I, you know, I, you can go as far as your guards in a tournament. And uh, I think what Tyson and I did is we believed in not only uh, our team, but we believed in ourselves and each other. Um, strong <laughs> you know I, I, every single summer we're in Connecticut we're in Philadelphia we're in New York together you know testing ourselves testing ourselves against you know street ballers or whatever it was so you know I think I was the one that was overconfident to get Tyson to the level was like listen we're one of the best backcourts in this country and we have to show people that so our senior year is what we did and when we you know we we got into the tournament played Murray State first and then we watched Kansas. We knew we were better than Kansas, uh, but just Kansas were number one. And I think it's, you know, it's a lot of marketing. And, you know, of course, there's Paul Pierce and Rafe LaFrance and all those guys. But I think, it, it, like I said before, it goes as far as how your guards carry you. And, uh, you know, we showed them that we were just as good. And, you know, me going into the pros, testing myself again, right, playing against Paul and those guys and doing extremely well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a belief system. And I think that's what we had. Uh, at Rhode Island, Tyson and myself, and then it trickled down. Well, belief in yourself is something you absolutely have to make it uh, in the NBA. You were a second-round pick, and what a lot of people don't understand and realize is many times a second-round pick, you absolutely have to earn your way. Many times it's easier as an undrafted rookie because you and your agent can kind of pick and choose where you go. But as a second-round pick, it might be the most difficult thing uh, to make an imprint. You did that right off the bat in the lockout shortened season, your rookie year with Houston, you averaged almost 19 a game. What was your mindset going in 
And, and at what point did you realize early in that year that I belong, I'm going to have a lengthy career? Well, I think it's, um, you know, I, I, I had Scotty Pippen and Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon, where they kind of backed me. And uh, Scotty Pippen was my biggest cheerleader of saying, like, I think he needs to start. Um, and he was telling me, listen, I just need you to, you know, guard the ball 94 feet, keep your mouth shut, make your free throws and hit open shots, and then you'll go from there. And uh, I, I think that was the easiest in learning how to play the game uh, my first year in a short, short year with Charles and, 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 and be, having a high IQ and, and, and Scotty having a, a, a extremely high IQ and then Dream, who's like just an amazing individual uh, on and off the court. Um, I was mentored pretty well my first year. And I think that's what helped me um, just, you know, being a student, uh, just trying my best just to kind of absorb all of that. And again, I, I didn't play the point guard position never in my, my life. And in my first year in the NBA, I played the hardest position that you can play. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it wasn't that hard. All I do was just dump the ball to the bigs and just not turn the ball over. So, Well, you yeah. made the comment, Scottie Pippen told you to keep your mouth shut and do all the little things. You had a teammate that is known for never keeping his mouth shut, whether he, when he was a player or whether it is now as a broadcaster with TNT, Charles Barkley. Uh, oh, I had a chance to talk with Charles a couple times here and there. And it, it's one of the most entertaining things. Uh, is, is there a particular <laughs> story or two about Charles early in your career that you just had to just shake your head and walk away? Like, wow, did that just happen? Did that comment just come out of his mouth? Yeah, well, okay, so my very first game, uh, we were uh, – very first game, professional game, was against the Lakers uh, at the Forum, and I didn't get to play. I was just sitting there on the bench and uh, being at all – you know, watching the celebrities and the basketball players and everybody else that was out there. It was just a year prior where I'm in college, just, uh, you know, admiring all these individuals and now I'm on the court with them. And, uh, you know, I just, I took it in. And then we, we fly to Golden State the next game. And uh, again, I didn't play in the first quarter and I, the guards got in foul trouble at the time. So um, coach calls me in. And I, I played a great game in Golden State. I think I had about 12 points, 12, 14 points or something like that. And uh, it, it, it goes down to the end of the game, and they're doubling Charles on the left box. And I'm, I'm at the top of the key, and I go to swing over, uh, you know, for that, that nice rotation for the next pass. And he passes it to me. I hit a three to win the game, my very first game in NBA. And the reporters asked Charles, uh, you know, your rookie has guts, you know. He's, and he said, uh, did you know you were passing to, to uh, Katie, your rook? And he said, well, if I knew it was that dummy, I wouldn't have passed it. You know, so <laughs> it's like <laughs> my very first game. I'm like, damn, this is going to be hard. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool, though, man. You know, Charles is, uh, you know, he has no filter. He's just who he is. And you can't really take it personal, you know, because, you know, I mean, how many times he's guaranteed something? So, you know. I mean, he keeps telling everybody they're going fishing, and he, he seems to get it right half the time with that. He seems to get it right, right half the time with, with his sweet predictions. Uh, but to, to become successful in the NBA or any, any sport, I think you have to have a thick skin. So you mentioned, you yeah. know, Charles Barkley making comments. And, you know, you had to realize that, you know what, he might be saying it, but I have a job to do. I've got to perform if I'm going to make a, a career out of this. When a couple of years go by, now you're in that mentorship role. 
how did you try to, to share with young players the value of preparation, work ethic, uh, and believing in themselves? Well, I just, I, I mean, listen, you and I sit next to each other. I remember you used to get your little golf books. Uh, you sit, <laughs> you sit there and just, you were just like trying your best with the golf thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, listen, me watching tape from beginning to end and then reading or I just, I think the best way of doing that was to show, right? To Like Scotty did me. He would literally not just tell me to do things. He would, you know, 7 o'clock, let's go, 7 a.m., make sure I'm up. We got to do this. We're going to go lift. We gotta do we're going to ride our bike, like those things. So I, Avery Johnson, you know, Sam Cassell and, and Nick Van Exel, where we're, we're up early uh, with my rookie year, my second year, and I think that's the reason why I became – uh, so good so fast in the NBAs because I'm, I'm around elite players that are teaching me things and I mean I'm up at 5 30 just waiting for them to get up at 6 37 o'clock because I'm ready to learn what what do I do next kind of thing and um I, I just did that you know I, I even to the to this day you know of course I can't dominate games but I can teach guys while I'm more on the court kind of like a player coach on the court what to do you know, let them do their thing. So I'm, I, I like uh, being that kind of mentor to a lot of guys because I had a lot of really good mentors. You mentioned a name, Sam Cassell, who we were both teammates with for the Clippers that year that, that we were together. He's in kind of uh, – his name pops up almost any time now there is a, a head coaching opportunity position. Um, you mm-hmm. mentioned the ability that, that you had to kind of – you know, share with guys or set an example of how to extend their careers or be successful. Is there a part of you that wants to get into coaching? And if so, what would you look like as a coach as far as your style, your philosophy? Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I take a lot from different coaches. Um, I think you have to be open with players. I think you have to be understanding, but hold them accountable. Um, and I think, um, you know, for me, as be, uh, I didn't want to do it at first, and now I see a lot of guys that need some guidance, um, especially with me playing, you know, once or twice a week, and a lot of, of the younger guys are um, asking me, you know, uh, what should they do, or, you know, you look good at your age, OG, and, I, you know, uh, how do you keep yourself? And these are guys that are playing, you know. So, I, you know, I, I just, for me, I think being like a more player development coach, um, uh, sitting in the background, you know, kind of just uh, dissecting their games, understanding where their comfort spots are, where their kill spots are, um, under, uh, you know, whether it's you're playing against the Sacramento Kings or Chicago Bulls or whoever it is, and understanding their scheme and being able to teach that younger individual, this is what you're going to be looking for, this is what they're going to take away from you, this is what you can do, you know. I, I love that part of the science, that science part of the game, and um, I think um, I didn't really understand it when I was playing as much as I do towards the end of my career, where now I'm really dissecting, like, uh, you know, when it's four minutes left, how many possessions will be in the game and, you know, how many bonuses and, you know, our, our most aggressive guy, do we feed him early so we can get the bonus early and, you know, then who we go to. And I, I love that strategy. And uh, it's, it's a lot of thinking, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm up for the challenge. When you look back at your playing career, is there any regrets that you have uh, or, you know, something that you, you, you look back as a, man, I wish I would have just done that differently? Yeah, man, it's, it's a few. I, I think, uh, you know, so as 
you know, I shot, you know, 39, 40% from three for my career. But I think if I would have literally, you know, put up more shots. You know, <laughs> I love from, it. No, yeah. I'm, ta- I'm talking about practice. I'm talking about like practice. Oh, okay. I didn't practice as much jumpers as I did play, like just running up and down playing the game or working on my post game or, you know, I think um, I, I, I used, I should have used my time a little better. Um, and, you know, some of the guys like, you know, he can shoot for me outside. He can, you know, post up, he can dime, he can do this, he can do that. But I just didn't, I didn't compartmentalize it the right way and monetize it, right? Like, I just think um, I'm watching a lot of the younger guys, the LeBron James, Chris Pauls, all those guys, and watching how they work out now. It's like certain days you do certain things, but you shoot every day and you make at least 500 to 1,000. You know, I was making 500 from 15 feet and in. You know, I wasn't even trying to go, you know. But, again, that was back when we played shooting threes as a bailout, right? It's not like something you should do. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I regret some of those things and resting my body more, you know, whether it's being a social life or family, I should have rested more with that period of time. So there's a few things that I wish I could have done better. But uh, overall, you know, just blessed to be there. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I'm in the same boat. Blessed to have had the opportunity to play against the best in the world. Um, you know, you mentioned threes as a bailout. On a side note, I, as a rookie and second-year player, had a coach that told me not to shoot threes. And that I was know. my strength as a game coming in. Yeah. And now I'm not going to put that coach on blast because he is a current NBA head coach. His teams will shoot 35, 40 threes a game. So it kind of shows you – the complete flip-flop mentality of how the game is now played, you know, and it's so driven by analytics. But when you watch today's game, is there one player that you just, you catch yourself watching as a fan? You know, I, again, like I said before, me dissecting the game as much. I wish I would have known this at 22 years old, but LeBron James, Chris Paul, you know, uh, just watching how they control games. Um, you know, I, I love Devin. Devin Booker to me is just insane. Um, the, the way he plays that game. Um, but, you know, guys like that for me, uh, I really enjoy watching. And John Morant. I love John Morant, too. I love watching him. I mean, those are four unbelievable names. And it's really cool how you, you – I guess you could call them two of the old guard now, LeBron and, and Chris Paul, and then two of the new upcomers in John Morant and Devin Booker. Those guys are mm-hmm. definitely guys that, that when my kids, my boys say, hey, who should I pull up highlights on YouTube? All the time I'm, I'm saying guys like Devin Booker because of the footwork, the shooting ability, or oh. at different levels. And then John Morant because I think, yeah, he's athletic as all heck but he plays the right way. He makes mm-hmm. the game easier for his teammates. He's willing yeah. to make the correct play and the correct pass, regardless of situation. So, Katino, I appreciate you jumping on the ISO with me today. It's been great for to sure. reconnect, catch up. Uh, hopefully, you know, our paths will cross again sometime soon. And who knows, maybe that's me in a broadcast booth and you coaching on the sidelines, because I think that's where both of our passions are taking us these days. So, uh, thanks again for joining My man, I appreciate you, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.